Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. And thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Wednesday, July 7th, and we study the inspired and true Word of God and put on our Christ goggles as we end our study of kings, First and Second Kings, we've been digging through it, slowly moving forward, looking for Christ, seeing Christ, seeing sin, and seeing salvation that we have because of what Christ has done for us as the Messiah was promised in these precious words, true words of Holy Scripture. And today we end with Zedekiah as king. And I think our guest said it well. He said he messed up and he messed up big. And we're going to find out how much, what does this mean for them? And what does this mean for us? The gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. For more information of their great work around the world, bringing catechetical instruction in or to young people and people new to the faith, people long in the faith, everything throughout the world, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back with us Pastor Ross Engel of St. Peter Lutheran Church in Middleburg, Florida, who also serves as Naval Reserve Chaplain um, there in Florida. Pastor Engel, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you. It's good to be here with you today, uh, Pastor Finner. Looking forward to digging into this uh, interesting text today with you. Absolutely. So, Pastor, it's been since February that we were had you on Thy Strong Word. So tell us what's happening for you, your family, and the work of the saints at St. Peter. Well, right now uh, we're kind of hunkered down with uh, Hurricane Elsa uh, coming towards mm. uh, the Florida coast. I think it's made landfall now, so we've got uh, some wind and rains that we're, we're kind of uh, experiencing down here. Uh, nothing too serious, uh, but uh, certainly kind of watching the news uh, the past uh, week or so as everyone kind of prepares, um, although not so much for this one. But um, other than that, the congregation, uh, we're doing well. We we are uh, into that summer kind of doldrums where there's kind of calm moments and then uh, a rush of excitement for things like vacation Bible school and uh, church picnics and activities and things like that. But, uh, you know, the the life of the parish, it, it ebbs and it flows and, and uh it's a great opportunity, even in the summer, to deliver uh, the precious word of God to the saints and that word of forgiveness and life that we have in Christ. So um, life is good down here in beautiful Middleburg, Florida. Absolutely. You know, my, my family was in Florida last week, southern Florida. And the question I have for any Floridian right now is we were hanging out in the backyard. We were again like, an Airbnb um, type of scenario, or I guess we call it Verbo. And, and we were in the backyard, and then you just notice these green things walking through the trees. <laughs> and these are the iguanas that evidently have, they're an invasive species that people said, hey, I don't need it in my room. I want it out in the wilderness. So now they're just going everywhere. They're everywhere you can be seen. They, they make a mess everywhere they go. So the question is, does this happen in North Florida too, or is that just a Southern Florida thing? It, we don't have the iguanas, but we do have anoles. I think that's the pronunciation. So we've got green anoles and white anoles. They're, they're just little bitty lizards that are everywhere. And uh, oh I think it's, it must just be a Florida thing because they are they're everywhere. I've had to chase them out of my office. So we've had them in the house. Uh, they're just sort of a, they're just there. So then I guess not they probably geckos. eat the cockroaches that are. 
No, Rattle, I don't think they're they quite do. geckos, but uh, I mean they're not selling Geico insurance uh, and <laughs> with clever responses. But um, but yeah, they're, they they are. When I did my vicarage in Florida, that was my first experience with just random lizards everywhere. Um, everywhere, it's just become yeah. Part of the part of life. The kids try and catch and them. Was... You can you can get them to open their mouths, and you can hang them on your ears like earrings. They'll kind of clamp down. They don't really have teeth that that hurt. And I don't know. Uh, oh it's, my. <laughs> the exotic living in florida i like to hear about it, it i is. like it yeah we don't have that <laughs> up here but uh i don't i don't know what's better or not but either way it's the context of where we are so pastor we'll be here for the word of god back on the farm as we would say and can you begin our time as we look at second kings 25 and can you begin it in prayer for us sure i will do that let us pray Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, which reveals to us Christ crucified for us and our salvation. As we study today the the history of your people, the history of Israel, um, and and sort of the conclusion of the kings, we uh, we ask that you'd help open our eyes to to see your grace, even in the midst of such uh, terrible tragedy, um, devastation, and and death, that we would have our eyes uh, focused still on your providence and your preserving of your people. Bless our study and bless all those who hear your word this day and in our churches uh, across the synod. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have any reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions, this is a live program um, concerning 2 Kings 25, or I guess we could even go first or 2 Kings all the way through. Send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or, uh, or call us, 1-800-730-2727, 1-800-730-2727. Now, Pastor Engel, this is the end of our time in Kings. Now, I don't necessarily want to ask you to summarize all of First Second Kings, but what if maybe maybe you have a short summary or thematic understanding of when we come to chapter 25, what helps us out to understand this last chapter as we, uh, well, hopefully see Christ in the midst of it? Well, as I remember, st- when we study through Kings, you see sort of, uh, you get the big hitters right at the beginning, right? David and, mm-hmm. and Saul, and you get some of those very familiar names and Solomon. And then as as uh, Kings kind of progresses, you get, um, you know, list of, of uh, one, uh, this king did this, uh, this king uh, angered the Lord, uh, this this one did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so you get sort of this who's who of, of who the rulers of Jerusalem or who the rulers of Israel were um, and, and whether they uh, trusted in God or, or whether they didn't. And uh, into the midst of these actions, then you have the prophets, you've got um you know, the, the declarations of of kind of judgment, law and gospel coming forth to the people. Um, and, and I think what we see here as we come to the conclusion is the people of Israel uh, have been doubting uh, the prophecies. Uh, they don't believe God would ever uh, do the things that he uh, spoke to the prophets that he would do. Um, and now here we see them about to observe um, God keeping true to his word and the great calamity um, as they kind of fall uh, and depart from his presence and, and, and he departs from theirs. Um, it's, yeah, I, I admit I haven't listened to as many episodes, uh, the first and second Kings. It's just such a, mm-hmm. such a long book. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm not sure what you've done recently, but I know you've had some good, uh, good brothers on and uh, some former oh, yeah. classmates of ours too. So yeah, it's right, been fun to kind right. of listen to 
to those. Um, and uh, I got I got to yeah. say this: one of our classmates, uh, Pester Jason Bredesen, and you know Jason. The, on Friday, we were on the program, and all of a sudden, I lost him. So I thought. And I'm, I just kept going. I kept going and, and just wondering what's going on. Well, ended up that finally uh, the people at KFO are like, no, you're the one that's lost. He's the one who's taken over. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm talking to myself, basically, and he's taken over. And obviously, you, you know, Pastor Bresson, well, he did great. He, he took over and ran with it and was very faithful. It actually happened twice. So he said he stood in stood in by the command in the stead of KFUO to uh, take over for my job. So <laughs> anyways, but you're exactly right. We've had great guests and I love how you, how you laid it out. It, it, it isn't quite that simple. Obviously you're not trying to make it that simple, but you got the big hitters no. and you got, you got Elijah and you got all of these things, but it, it does drag on. There's been times where I'm like, you know, I just want like more than one good King in a row. Like there's been occasional yeah. Kings and you just kind of want to see something really flow through but then at the same time it's very earthy i think one pastor said it is very very much so of what we see in our own world that as much as we try to cover ourselves with wash ourselves clean and to put the nice clothes on and to talk a good game boy there's this dirt that clings to us and a past and a history when we realize how fallen we are and those who surround us and so that's why we need the lord that's why well that's why it's called thy strong word is because this isn't thy strong <laughs> us it's thy strong word that clings us and keeps us together so any other last thoughts before we start digging in here pastor you know, as as uh, as you were talking just now, I, I, I'm reminded to when Israel demanded the king, right? They demanded a king just mm-hmm. like everybody else, and and God through the prophet gives them a warning of what to expect. And I think in First and Second Kings, you see um, all those things that God had warned His people: Hey, when you have a king, these are the things to expect. And and sure enough, uh, the kings live up to they live up to what God says they should be afraid of. Um, so as we look at today, we have Jerusalem has been captured, and this is where it gets a little confusing. In chapter 24, Jerusalem's captured, and I want to make sure I say this correctly, is that they're captured. Um, the king has basically submitted himself to the king of Babylon, uh, Jehoiachin, and as they're looking at, at, at that, then the king of Babylon um, says, no, the king now is Zedekiah. So Zedekiah is the king appointed by uh, Nebuchadnezzar, which doesn't seem to be a good plan, much like you said about the kings. Like, well, do you really want a king? Okay. Well, now now Babylon is starting to appoint the king. So this is just not looking to end well. Any thoughts on that as we begin this chapter? I mean, it doesn't seem it's going to end well. Any thoughts? No, it definitely doesn't end well. Um, Zedekiah is young, right? He's 21 years old. He reigns for 11. Um, he does what's evil in the eyes of the Lord. Um, and essentially, he's he's a proxy, right? He's ruling Jerusalem on behalf of, of Nebuchadnezzar, on behalf of, uh, well, Babylon. And uh, you know, that seems to become a, a trend for Jerusalem, because when we get mm-hmm. to Christ, uh, Jerusalem is also being ruled, I um, mean, Israel being ruled by proxy, you know, the the conquered people um, with some sense of rulership, you know, like King Herod wasn't really king. He was, you know, one of multiple kings, but um, they kind of purported themselves that way. So it just seems to be the trend, you know, 
uh, Israel becomes conquered. They have some rulers. And in this case, we're going to see the ruler, um, like, like I sent you in the email, he's going to mess up big. <laughs> he does. And it's going to get bad, right? <laughs> it, it does. It does. And we're going to dig into that. One of the, one of the, the dark, I want to say, grief that, that I feel when I've, we're digging through this is the reality of once that kingdom, actually, once they want kings, everything falls apart. It was never sinless. I mean, that's very clear in scripture, but things really started to, to fall off the rails. The train went off the tracks when they wanted that king, and it just continually went down like a snowball down a mountain. And one of the one of the realities that we see here is once this kingdom was split, you just see it fall apart more and more and more. You, you, know, you almost cling to when there's little dabs of grace or a little bit of repentance or a little bit of faith, but it never goes back to, quote, where they were. And that kind of brings a lot of grief, and that, and that makes us realize why faith and the, the life of those who follow the Lord is not about looking back for the glory days, but continually keeping our eyes centered on the Lord, as we would say, centered on Christ. So I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of that, to, to focus on the, wow, things weren't so great um, then, but let's just focus on the now. But also we look at the past, so we don't do what the past did. It's a tough balance. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that a little bit before we dig in. So any thoughts on that struggle of faith? We look to the past and sometimes have rosy colored glasses on it, but also we realize it is good to know the past as we look to now and to the future. Any thoughts in the eyes of faith? I think there's always a, uh, a propensity in people to, to look towards the past and, and try and seek a, a golden age, a golden era when everything was great and hunky dory, at least as they think. Um, the reality was, is that it usually wasn't as great as they imagined it to be when they look back. Um, but the, te the temptation then is to look to the past in such a way that you ignore the things of the present, um, thinking perhaps coveting the, the, the blessings of the past and missing out on what you currently have. But then, of course, there's also the, the, the problem where you end up, you know, if you swing too far and all you do is look towards the present, you forget the promises that are, await you in the mm -hmm. future. And, and so death then becomes a, this terrible end rather than, you know, say the, the promise of, of the resurrection that we have in the future. And so um, Lutherans are good with living in the tension, right? We, we, we learn the past. We, we treasure the things that have been handed down to us from generation to generation. We, we live in the present. We have a heart towards missions and the proclamation of the gospel, uh, because ultimately in the end, we know that what we have to look forward to, the resurrection, the return of Christ in the last day, the, the breathing into our graves and dwelling then forever in the presence of the Lord, body and soul. I mean, that's what we have to look forward to. And, and that hope um, gives us the strength to live through whatever um, difficult times we might be enduring uh, at the current moment or may one day endure. Um, as long as we have our hope placed in the right things and the promises of God and his word, we can make it through um, the, the, the shameful parts of our past, the difficult parts of our present, uh, and live in the hope of the future. 
That's a great that's a great overview is really what first and second kings is all about um, to see the light in the darkness and to grieve our way through. So let's dig into the text, shall we? Um, verses one through three, second Kings chapter 25. And reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. We'll be reading the first three verses in the ninth year of his reign in the 10th year in the 10th day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food of no, no food for the people of the land. So I kind of had to look up a few words in this siege besieged and siege works so mm. basically what what's happening in these first three verses pastor so so they're surrounded right um they they're the, the army is encamped around the city and you know jerusalem had its great walls and uh, these siege works then would have been the weapons of war to breach a castle wall or a city wall um, if you think back to, to maybe um, this is where you have, um, I'm thinking perhaps of the Lord of the Rings with, uh, mm-hmm. with some mm-hmm. of the warfare in there. You've got your battering rams, you've got your towers that would be pushed up against the building and people would be able to get over the walls. Um, you know, siege works, the, just all sorts of weaponry that would have had to have been assembled out side the walls, right? They, they didn't necessarily travel with those things, but they built them and then brought them forth um, against the city walls. Um, and of course, then you have the added benefit of, of so siege. So no goods are going in, no goods are coming out. So whatever is in the city is in the city. Um, you don't mm-hmm. have airdrops happening. You don't have uh, supply drops or, or uh, you know, folks coming in from outside to help. Um, and it sounds like you've got people that are sneaking out, but you don't have any sort of uh, what you've got is what you've got as, as you watch the enemy of mass around you building their weapons of war. And that why would they surround it in such a way? What is the ultimate goal for uh, Babylon? Well, is it I mean, is it to teach a lesson? I mean, King Zedekiah uh, was going to be a puppet, right? Uh, he was mm-hmm. going to be sort of a, 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 a ruler by proxy, and and he was he could have probably done that um, for quite some time. Except he first does evil in the eyes of the Lord, which is not a good thing, and and then he rebels against the king of Babylon and uh, turns him essentially from benevolent uh, <laughs> benevolent overlord to uh, now we must crush these people. Uh, for their insolence. And uh, that's kind of where we pick up as Nebuchadnezzar besieges. That's just a great word, besieges Mm -hmm. Jerusalem. Yeah, it just surrounds them. So there's no option of of anything, no food. We hear, I think you mentioned in Lamentations, where it just, you starve the people out. Like, it's just this slow battle of what are people going to do once they start getting hungry? And it's not a good thing. I pray never for that to happen for anybody that we know, because that's when you're going to see the fallenness of humankind very, very, very quickly. 
And and that's basically what their their plan is. And for uh, for Zedekiah, he you know we hear in Jeremiah, and there's so many connections to Jeremiah in this, and First and Second Chronicles with this, um, as far as we look at everything. And you know, basically they're saying, hey, you just you just kind of hold tight, and God will sustain you. But he doesn't. That doesn't work for him. He he wants to do his own thing. And so he's not only denying the Lord, you know, and now he's denying the prophet, and he's even denying the Babylonian king. So basically, he's not good with anybody zedekiah is not the yeah. worst he doesn't have mentioned as the worst but he's he's pretty pretty awful in this whole thing so any any thoughts yeah. on the other, other thoughts on the first few verses well and you've got this confidence too of jerusalem right there there are people who uh, who anytime someone says you will never breach these walls uh that mm, that mm-hmm. doesn't turn out too well and jerusalem i think is living on the mindset that you're not going to get through these walls we can we can hold you off through these walls because no one has breached them in all this time. And, and uh, you know, so they think maybe we can just wait them out and, and they can't, they, they run out of food. And, and like you said, Lamentations four gets pretty gruesome about um, what they have to do. I mean, resorting to cannibalism in places to, mm-hmm. uh, to survive and, and just, just horrific things. So um, their, their confidence perhaps is in their walls and in their earthly rulers um, and and they are facing a much larger force uh, than they can withstand. And there is a, how do you say it? There is a, a false confidence that we will proclaim as human beings where, don't worry, it'll, it'll get better. It'll get better. And so they saw mm. the temple get completely cleaned out. Yesterday with Pastor Kevin Parviz, um, from from Kaishi, Kai V Shalom, excuse me, um, congregation in St. Louis. He he just said it so beautifully. We we made a lot of connections of the stripping of the temple to Holy Thursday, right? We just stripping of the mm-hmm. altar and the stripping of Christ, and and he and there's kind of we we kind of implied it yesterday where it's kind of like okay, the temple is completely cleaned out. How could it get any worse? And we tend to do this to each other as human beings. They're like, well, don't worry, it will get better when that was just not true. So there's that kind of false confidence in some of these cliches that they probably were having as well. We're God's people. We got a big wall. We go through the whole list, but even after a whole, the whole list, you know, that quote, things might not get better. And now they're seeing it right before them. They're surrounded. The walls are there, but yet things are not going well. So we might have the temple, but nothing in it. And we have people surrounding us. It's not clearly going to get better. Um, and so right. that's the things we have to think about when we move forward. So any other, any other thoughts before we move on in the text? No, I think, I think we can move on. Let's, uh, let's do it. You've got something. Fourth, no, I got nothing. Four through seven, four through seven. Then a breach was made in the city and all the men of war fled by night, by the way of the gate between the two walls, by the King's garden, though the Chaldeans were around the city and they went in the direction of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all the army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. Now, Pastor, these are... I, I'm feeling the grief now as a father. First of all, you feel this, and you and you think about the the implications of that. But I want to make sure we don't hit on that quite yet because we're almost to our break. But basically, this we already have established Zedekiah is evil, 
And he's a guy who mm-hmm. is not listening to the Lord. He's not listening to the prophet. He's not even listening to the king of Babylon. And what does he do? Which me even puts another list of his bad, you know, his list of being a bad king. What does he do here in the midst of his people struggling? You know, he and the the men of war, his army, um, they flee in the night, right? They, they're <laughs> besieged, they're surrounded, there's a breach in the wall, and the king and his warriors essentially leave the women and children to fend for themselves. And uh, I know in the email I sent you in preparation for this, I told you that I... Um, I often root for the bad guys to get theirs when we're watching a movie. And yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it's almost a good thing that these t- guys don't get away with their escape because, you know, what, what cowardly act here? I mean, the, the king of Israel was to, to serve uh, in, in a way in the stead uh, of God among the people, mm-hmm. you know, to, to protect the people, to, to stand between them and the enemy, you know, in the same way we might look at, at uh good government as a gift from God. Right. And, and so here, rather than, than even stand in such a way, um, they leave in the night. I mean, it doesn't get much more cowardly than that, right. For a, a King and the warriors to, to leave. Um, and I think about this is not only is Zedekiah to be seen as a government leader, but also as a spiritual leader. I mean, this is, this mm-hmm. is a, to me, I saw this also as a care of souls issue. We talk about that a lot as pastors, but the king was different than how we would see a king or a ruler in our culture, that they also were there to be caretakers of these souls. And you can't really take care of souls when you run away. <laughs> I mean, it right. doesn't work that way very well. <laughs> and so he's not only a coward from a, um, a secular government sense, but also a coward from a theological sense, um, because he mm-hmm. abandoned the people of whom God has called him to. So uh, we have about 30 seconds here, Pastor, or actually about a minute. So any thoughts on that as he's really an overseer, a spiritual overseer, and abandons, and what that means for us? Well, obviously, he had not, did not see the uh, the the great movie from back back in our our youth, uh, Titanic, with women and children <laughs> getting on board the ship first, right? Save the women That's and right. children That's first, right. and sure. then you know if there's room for the men, then the men can be saved. But but here the the best chance the people had to to stand against these besiegers um, were gone, and uh, mm-hmm. and so they're left to the the whims of of enemy soldiers, which no doubt has some horrific. Uh, implications as well. So, um, but yeah, a, a caretaker of the souls of the people, um, kind of up and running uh, to save his own hide, uh, not to live and fight another day, but to just to save his own skin. It, it reminds me, too, I was talking to someone who just got their captain's license. We did some, um, we did various things on paddle boarding and other snorkeling and stuff in Florida. And one of them was a captain. And so I was talking to him about that. And that reminds me of your reference to Titanic, where what is the role of the captain of the ship? The ship goes down, the captain goes with it. Like that's just part of right. the deal. And here, obviously, they're not living by this, you know, and we should almost have a record of how many movie quotes can you fit in today, Pastor? I think that might be a good goal for us. But anyways, Titanic and we'll, we'll see where other ones one. come about. <laughs> you can work it. So, Pastor, <laughs> but right now we need to take our break. We are studying Second Kings chapter 25 with Pastor Ross Engel, and we will be right back.
Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Chris Rosebro answer the question, Did Stephen Fertig Claim to Be God? We'll continue our series, Responding to Roman Catholic Proof Text, talking with Dr. Stephen Parks about Romans 3.28 and the Doctrine of Justification, and its media coverage of religion with Terry Mattingly. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. An inheritance usually means something gained in the shadow of someone lost. The passing on of places, property, and possessions after someone passes away. However, this week on the Lutheran Hour, Dr. Michael Ziegler talks about the riches that come to us from one who died and now lives again. An eternal inheritance as God intended. This week on the Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Skilled trade workers are the backbone of every community and also the Army National Guard. Soldiers trained to keep the power flowing, engines running, and in every other trade needed to accomplish the mission. These soldiers are on the fast track to learning skills that can set them up for success at home with companies looking to hire the best. Their resumes are being built through their paid training and part-time service. Find out how you too can learn a trade profession by visiting NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association and this station. And welcome back. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 25 with Pastor Ross Engel. And as we left it uh, before our break, we have held off what happens to Zedekiah at the end. And one, I got an email, I received an email from one of our listeners that emphasized that we might think that this was a few weeks that they were besieged or they were surrounded. But it actually, according to what we understand, was 19 months um, Pastor, did you find anything on that? I, I guess I hadn't looked that part up specifically, but he said 19 months. Does that sound about right? It it seems correct to me. I mean, that we're talking <laughs> besieged to the 11th year of King Zedekiah. There's some dates listed in chapter 25. Um, yeah. you know, unfortunately, Concordia Publishing yeah. House has not released the uh, second, first and second Kings commentary from the, that blue commentary <laughs> okay. series, but... There is a people's Bible commentary I pulled off the shelf and, and uh, yeah, it, it does talk about, they were under siege for a year and a half. Uh, there you go. So, yep. Yeah, 19 yeah, months 19, sounds about 18, right. 19 months, yep, yep. And that really puts it in perspective too, because what COVID has been a basically a 19 month situation, you know, maybe not even quite 19 months. So you think about how long we've been dealing with this. Now think about 19 months of someone surrounding your city and, and basically, I don't know how, maybe they had a lot of store, food stored up. We don't really know. But just saying that this is a long time period. And so in some ways, you understand why the king would want to leave. But also, he's a fool. You know, he's, he's, uh, um, he is, he's not one who cares about his people. And then at the end, he does get, how you say, it, the bad guys get caught, as you said. Yeah. So Zedekiah gets get caught. Come the up Chaldeans. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And, and then verse 7 brings up two very uh, graphic situations. So, Pastor, tell us what happened to Zedekiah and his family. All right. So uh, the horror of horrors, he's, he has to watch his sons slaughtered, right? They, I, I, I didn't see how many sons he did have, um, but they're, they are killed before his very eyes. And uh, then his eyes are, are plucked out. Um, Reminded kind of of uh, the the story of Samson after he gets his eyes plucked out, but they pluck mm-hmm. out the king's eyes, and so the last thing he sees 
is his sons, you know, slaughtered before him. Uh, and then he's put into shackles and taken to Babylon. And uh, what a, I mean, what a, what a horrifying thing to have as the last image your eyes uh, see. And that's something that I would guess. I mean, you're a father, I'm a father. And the, the more you, t- the more you talk to fathers who are more elder than us, I would say elder fathers, is that you kind of have this vision when your kids are little that you will, you will not, uh, that you won't be worried about your kids when they're older. But, but, but that's not true. I mean, I feel like I'm more worried now than I was when they were born, but, um, but it's, right. it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to think about too, is, is that the worst situation you can imagine is something like this scenario. And so there obviously mm-hmm. was a very clear goal to traumatize him probably for the sake of showing others, see, this is what your end will be as well. Um, if you do it to the king, we also obviously would do it to you. But there, there, there seems to be something, and you allude to it, and you talk about this in your notes you gave to me, is um, the last thing that, they saw, that he saw was his sons be killed, and then they take out his eyes, which I would think would bring up very graphic thoughts in your mind throughout the rest of your life. So any, any thoughts on that or any in, insight? Yes, I, obviously, you know, no one wants to see their kids harmed in any way. And to see such a thing like this is already traumatic. But then to have that be the last thing you see, um, no doubt you would replay that last image, even uh, without wanting to. Um, the human brain um, has a way of, of, of replaying things that are, are, are uh, traumatic and stressful. Um, at, you know, I read uh, Dan Crenshaw's book. Uh, I think it's called mm-hmm. Fortitude. You know, he's that SEAL that turned politician that lost an eye to an IED and now has an eye patch. And when, when he talked about uh, being blinded after his injury, his uh, brain kept replaying the images he saw before he lost his sight. Um, and, you know, I, I imagine, um, you know, at some point that will that could drive a person crazy, right? To have that be the image you see sort of the movie that's played in your mind. Um, when you try to go to sleep at night, obviously when you're blinded, uh, sleep and day, uh, those things are difficult as well. There's all sorts of medical conditions that, that people who were able to see and now have lost their sight, um, completely, um, endure. And, And many of them are create all sorts of mental anguish, uh, and things like that. Um, and, and of course, this from a, a Babylonian uh, perspective is, is definitely a power move, right? Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's a lesson being taught. Um, I, I'm reading a book series right now by an author named Jack Carr. Excellent book series, by the way. Uh, pretty gruesome, pretty violent, unfortunately. And and one of the scenes, the bad guys are teaching a lesson to some people, and uh, they're forced to watch their their loved ones be essentially eaten alive by these giant ants, I guess, that live in. Africa, and uh, mm. they have to sit there and watch their loved ones uh, essentially be tortured to death, and and the emotional thing that happens. But it's done as a lesson. You know, if if uh, we're not just going to punish you, we're going to make you see your family suffer and then punish you. Um, and, and I think that's what Babylon's doing here. I mean, it's it seems to be a classic um, power move to to show, hey, um, you know, we we will. We will punish not just you, but the people you care most about. Um, so don't, you know, don't don't mess with us. Don't betray us. Don't don't uh, fall out of our favor. And, and Zedekiah certainly fell out of their favor. And that's a just a very 
a stark reminder of the darkness that has come upon God's people. That uh, when whenever you try to look at the faith and look at the past and the scriptures as something where it's kind of, uh, you know, just a, I've used this quote, this is from movies as well, you know, you're in a gravy train with biscuit wheels, you know, everything is just getting better and better. (laughs) That is just not at all what the scriptures say, and neither should we then think that's going to be our lives. And this is a very stark reminder of brokenness, uh, evil that is definitely surrounding us, and the pain that that can be done um, among humanity, which is why, once again, we need the Lord. And so as we look at that, it's a very dark time and it's good for us to continue in this however um to realize that this isn't necessarily like i don't want to give you a false understanding of don't worry it quote gets better at least as far as in the text right now so pastor any other thoughts on those first seven verses before we move on well if if, uh if we're doing movie quotes you know it is true that (laughs) life isn't all sunshine and rainbows and uh, life hits pretty hard (laughs) So, I, oh. but I don't see how Zedekiah is going to get up from this one, right? Zedekiah, I don't think is going to get up from this one, but that doesn't leave out God's people, right? You know, God's right. people, we, we kind of focused here on the, the, the leaders, the, the warriors, mm-hmm. the leaders, and now we're going to get to the, the people, um, the, the, the city, the, the things of value within the town. And, and uh, it, it's not going to be good. Um, they are going to be hit hard. But they're going to one day be brought up out of this, and and right. I think that's the the hope and comfort that that we seek to find in this text. The the prophets that that point to to the restoration, um, not of cities of walls of kings, but but of of all creation uh, with God's promise. So, but it's about to get dark. It, it is. Darker. It is absolutely. But we do see. <laughs> we do see. Yeah, even darker. Uh, we do see the remnant that God promised of David all the way to the Messiah. We do see it a little bit. So just keep your Christ goggles on as we continue on. So verses 8 through 12. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he burned the house of Yahweh and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem and the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters that deserted to the king of Babylon together with the rest of the multitude. (laughs) Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. So now we have a new person, Nebuzaradan. Um, I feel this is kind of like Lord of the Rings, like you're saying. You know, it gets, yeah. it gets to these names. You're like, oh, my gosh, how does that work? But anyways, Nebuzaradan is how I heard it said. Uh, he's a bodyguard, and he comes, and in essence, he doesn't just clear out the temple. He destroys everything. What are your thoughts on these verses? Mm-hmm. And he destroys it with fire. Right. I mean, he burns mm-hmm. down the house of the Lord, the king's house, the houses of Jerusalem, every every house. And there's something there's something powerful to see your possessions, your place of rulers, your place of um, worship 
receiving our Lord's gifts on fire. Uh, remember some years ago when when Notre Dame was on fire and and there were you know hearts breaking uh, wide open all over the world for for Notre Dame. Um, you know the the views of you know even in, in our own in our own country. Um, you know this this past week was Independence Day and, and one of the more powerful scenes in that movie Independence Day is mm, when the go. White House and the Congress are, are blown up in a, in a fiery display. Uh, mm. And those are powerful things for people to see, to, um, to, to see the things that are, are valued, the things of protection, of safety, of, of worship, of God's presence, of, of possession, all these things um, consumed by fire. Uh, and when something is consumed by fire, there's nothing left, right? It, it's reduced to ash and rubble. Um, it's, it's uninhabitable. It, it, it's done. Right. And, and, and that's what the people are seeing. Um, the city is, is ablaze and, and, um, everything that made the city such a great, uh, like a jewel of the land, uh, is reduced to nothingness before the very eyes of the people. Um, and then they're led into a- exile, right? So all of this happens right. and then they're led into exile. So no doubt they're watching their cities, uh, their city, their homes, everything burn. And it is so. You have you have the temple is brought down, and this was a symbol of of, of uh, accomplishment, I guess you would say, um, because now Solomon had finally built it, and there it was. Now we know where the Lord will dwell. Now it, there there are prayers by Solomon, who's like, Lord, you're too big for this temple, but yet you've chosen to be there. And then the question comes, where is God in the midst of this? So you just imagine that situation. The king is gone. The rumors start. He's been taken away to Babylon, and his eyes are gone. So basically, um, he's out. The leadership is out. Now the temple is out. And as they're walking out, they probably just they see the, the walls being fallen down. So where is God? Where is protection? Where are our leaders? And all of that, the question is, what do we have left? And literally... They leave with nothing. So, like you said, yeah. it not only was dark, but it has gotten even darker. Um, I don't know if you want to mm-hmm. reflect on more of that darkness, but you have anything else to talk about? <laughs> well, you know, if you think of all the things that make a city a city, right, or all the things that you find an identity in, the, you know, you know the the place where you're from, um, the they're gone, right? There's no defensive fortifications in Jerusalem. So they, they wouldn't be able to repel uh, an invading army anymore. There, there's no place for rules to be written or for the, the one who's charged with caring for the people uh, to live. The temple, the, 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 cat, the, the, the king's house is gone. Uh, the, the place of worship is gone. You know, everything that made a city a city, um, all the things where people find their identity and their meaning and their safety and their protection, they're destroyed. Uh, and all that's left is the ruins of, of once, a once proud people who enjoyed blessings and the presence of God and, and good Kings and bad Kings and, and successes and failures, um, all of it gone. Um, you know, if, if there was a sports team stadium, it was probably leveled as well. And so they didn't even have a home team to root for. Um, you know, everything's been snatched away from them. Um, and so they have no place to call home. They're, they're now orphans. They're, um, they're, they they don't even have a home to return to because it's been destroyed. So, I mean, it's, it's gotta be a devastating and demoralizing uh, moment here to see everything reduced to ashes. 
And verse 12, I think, makes a transition that Pastor Parviz really highlighted yesterday so well. As he said, you know, you look at all of this and you look for a remnant, a remnant of, wait, I thought the promise was that he would continue to have that lineage, basically, from David all the way to the Messiah. And how does this work when all the people are taken away? And in verse 12, it talks about the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen, that not every single person was taken away. And he didn't choose the, the leaders to stick around. He didn't choose the powerful military or the king or something. He chose the poorest of the poor. Now, you highlight here that that might not only have implications for that as far as the lineage of David and, and God using the poor for good, but also maybe something for us today. How would you, how would you describe that? Um, so they leave the, the poorest of the land behind, and, and they're given two tasks, vine dressers and farmers. And, and if you think to Jesus' parables, if you think to the words of the prophets, uh, the Psalms, um, you know, the I reminded of, you know, Isaiah and and the the chief service that we have on, on Good Friday, where it's the reproaches from the Lord. Um, and he speaks of of planting vines and, and and tending them. And why did they produce sour grapes? And so so you see this language throughout Scripture. And it's it's often tied in with with God's promises or um, or 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 God. Um, the humble manner in which God cares for his things, you know, vine dressers, uh, grapes, um, the celebration uh, that comes forth with wine. I mean, we could probably make a sacramental tie, uh, but mm-hmm. farmers tending sheep or farmers tending land. Um, you know, I, I, I know I, I, I was trying to figure out how best to, to send it to you ahead of time, but it's sort of that, that tie to the church, um, a duty of caring for something that isn't even a shadow of what it once was. Um, mm. And so, you know, as pastors in the church, we care for God's people, but we're only a shadow of what we were uh, prior to sin's effects. Um, and yet one day we will be in the resurrection um, restored fully, but we care for something that that isn't how God intended it to be. Um, and yet we tend our flocks, our congregations with hope. Uh, with purpose. Of course, there's sorrows connected too. Um, and no doubt those poorest of the land who are left behind to be vine dressers and farmers um, perhaps saw purpose. Maybe they had hope. Of course, they had sorrows as they, they looked at their once proud city. Um, they're weak. They're, they're agrarian, um, tending a barren place, um, but a place where God had connected his promises, uh, a place where God had connected his presence among his people. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I was making a stretch in, in, in going that route, but but as soon as I read that verse 12, I, I, my mind immediately went to, um, you know, the parables of our Lord and the, the humble manner um, in which, you know, pastors care for churches and, and churches, um, you know, scatter the, the countryside and the, uh, and, and the purpose they have. Um, um, and, and it's a joyous purpose that we have in, is, as pastors and churches. But there's also you know sorrows to it because we do still feel the effects of of sin and death um, and, and that impact of living in a sinful world. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on that? Was I no? Was I, I thought I was thought I it worked very well. Was it was it good? Oh, well, 
Okay. Well, I think it connects very well in the sense of what we talked about at the beginning is that you look to the past and sometimes you have a high view of it. And we have to go through the grief of trying to understand why is this happening now with the hope that we have in the future, but yet learning from the past, repenting of sin and continuing to move forward. And all of that comes into every single person, every single situation where we have to care for them as God's people. And so I think that's a good segue for us as we look to the rest, because it doesn't necessarily get better, but also we're kind of getting short on time, so we have to continue on. So <laughs> verses 13, we'll go all the way to 21. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of Yahweh, and the stands in the bronze sea that were in the house of Yahweh, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. And they took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the dishes for incense and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service. The firepans also and the bowls that was of gold of the captain of the guard took away as gold and what was silver as silver. As the two pillars, the one sea and the stands and Solomon that made for the house of Yahweh, the bronze of all the vessels was beyond weight. The height of the one pillar was 18 cubits on the capital of bronze. And the height of the capital was three cubits, latticework and pomegranates. All of bronze were around the capital, and the second pillar had the same with the latticework. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the threshold. And from the city he took an officer who had been in command of the men of war, and the five men of the king's council who were found in the city, and the secretary of the commander of the army, who mustered the people of the land and sixty men of the people of the land that were found in the city. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. So basically everything was taken away. All, Even the things that Solomon had made for the house of the Lord and not only that, but all the people that they mentioned, he brought before the king of Babylon and killed. So what are your, th I mean, like you said, it got darker. So any thoughts on these? Verses? It did. Well, it's interesting how descript, uh, descriptive the author is about the temple pieces, right? He gets into the the size, the shape, the the things uh, of, the, of the temple. Um, and so what you get a glimpse of is, is a reminder of the beauty and the majesty of this temple that, that Solomon had built, uh, the dwelling place of God, uh, which had been now vacated by God, stripped bare, pillaged, uh, the precious metals probably melted down in some ways and taken away as spoils of war. Um, you know, and, and immediately I went to thinking about the things of our own church uh, and the horrors that uh, people would have of of someone coming in and and melting down our communion ware or or burning our altars or pulpits or you know the cross uh, as an act of victory over a demoralized and defeated people and and to essentially take the special things of God the reminders of His presence the reminders of His gifts uh, and reduce them now to nothing or or even worse repurpose them for profane things. Um, you know, and, and just the sorrow that would have been filled with these people's hearts, you know, perhaps even even greater than a king watching his son slaughtered and having his eyes plucked out. These people then see the temple, the, the presence of God plundered, uh, destroyed, um, and then they're killed. Um, so mm. um, put to death uh, in, in the land of Hamath. So um, the last thing they would have seen with their eyes uh, before death would have been the the 
the death or destruction of, of the temple uh, and everything that went with mm. it. Um, mm. So perhaps a parallel to, to previously with King Zedekiah. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about that. That's a, that's a very good point. And, you know, there's other, there's other parts of scripture that does um, look at this. Jeremiah 40 through 44 covers many of these events. Mm-hmm. And we really can't get to that right now, but it, it does just show us the, um, well, first of all, the preaching task of Jeremiah is quite um, awful <laughs> as far as what he had to proclaim yeah. and, and his whole ministry. And, and right now on KFUO, uh, Pastor Tim Apple has been studying Jeremiah. He's on at eight o'clock. And so it's been very much so a, a parallel reality for both of us of looking at the very difficult time in God's, God's people's history. And now, you know, we have this connection with Egypt. We have all these things happening. But at the end of the day, everything is about as dark as we can imagine. Now, Pastor, we are kind of short on time, so I'm going to finish out our verses and have you wrap up what we have in our text today. So 22 all the way to the end in verse 30. And over the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left, he appointed Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, king, uh, son of Shaphan, governor. Now, when all the captains and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah governor, they came with their men to Gedaliah at Mizpah, namely Ishmael, son of Nephaniah, and Johanan, the son of Kiriah, and Sariah, the son of Tanumeth, and Netophathite, and Jezaniah, the son of the Magathite. And Gedaliah swore to them, to their men, saying, Do not be afraid because of the Chaldean officials. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it should be well with you. When the seventh month, Ish, seventh month, Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, son of Elishama, the royal family, came with ten men and struck down Gedaliah and put him to death along with the Jews and the Chaldeans who were with him in Mizpah. Then all the people, both small and great, and the captains of the forces arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the twelfth month of the 27th day of the month, Evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, Chin, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats and the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin, Chin, put off his gar- prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. For his allowance, a regular allowance, was given to him by the king, according to his daily needs, as long as he lived." So they, you know, basically everyone's gone from Judah, but they're still appointing governors of Judah. And we hear what happens to that governor where everyone's gone, basically, but yet there's still problems that happen. And then at the very end, for whatever reason, the kings put in Jehoiachin and about what happened at the end of his life. How would you wrap those two mm-hmm. things together? We have about 30, 45 seconds to wrap those together. Well, first, I'm glad you said those names, not me. Um, <laughs> second, you know, it, it leaves with a, a bit of, of, of hope, right? So all these things are, are going on, and this, this Jehoiachin uh, is brought out of his exile clothes and brought into the presence of the king and provided for um, in an unexpected way, right? And so what we see here is a, a remnant of God's people. God has preserved a remnant, uh, 
vine dressers and farmers, and now some even in exile, uh, they would not become nothing. His God's promises would not be broken. Redemption would come. And as people would still hear the preaching of the prophets, um, and even in their exile, um, God is going to see to it that their needs are provided for. Um, maybe not perfectly, maybe not the way they would wish to be provided for, but still uh, taken care of uh, until his promises are fulfilled. Um, and that's where we find ourselves dwelling, right? Promise from God that we will have, uh, we will be cared for um, until the day of the resurrection or the day of his return. Um, well, I guess that's the same thing, but, um, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. there's hope. Um, and it tells us, there's so many connections to the resurrection, the, the prison garments, take those off and put on what we would say robes of righteousness, um, that he dined right. daily, which points us to obviously the time that we'll dine, the great feast that still is yet to come. Pastor, we have about 30 seconds. How would you summarize this chapter? The, the darkness, uh, there is a light that shines in the darkness, right? And, and, uh, um, the, the light that shines is the promise of God that he will not leave or forsake his people, um, that even in the even in exile, even in death, um, like you said, he'll be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We will be brought forth from from the prison garments of the grave um, and clothed in the righteousness of light and life to dwell in the presence of the true king, God of heaven and earth, Yahweh, uh, for for all our days, for till you know, in perpetuity uh, to, forever. And uh what hope we have in that, uh, even in the midst of such horrific darkness. Pastor Ross Engel of St. Peter Lutheran Church in Florida, giving us God's strong word from 2 Kings chapter 25. Pastor Engel, thank you for being our guest. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Saints of our Lord, I'm reminded what the hymn says, built on the rock, the church shall stand even when steeples are falling. This is what happened to God's people. The king is gone. Everyone's gone. They flee. Every The walls are gone. Everything has been destroyed. But yet, he, it is a Jehoiah Chin who takes off his prison garments and reminds us of what is still yet to come. The robes of righteousness, the feast with our Lord, all because of Christ. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.